I believe that any serious discussion about the environment has to begin with why in Thailand the condom is called a machai. Why is the condom in Thailand called a machai? There's a guy named Machai Virvaidya. I've talked about him on this podcast. There's a TED talk about him. And I first learned about him through Alan Weissman's book, Countdown. In around the 70s, Machai Virvaidya was an economist in Thailand for the government. And he went around gathering information, economics information about Thailand. He went around and saw the land and the people. He had learned in the West, in economics, that any economic problem could be solved through growth. So if there's unemployment or if there is disparity in wealth, if you grew enough, eventually these problems would rectify. He put the numbers into his economic models from what he saw of the land and the people and their joblessness and their jobs and whatever. Every time he did it, he found that the more that the economy grew, the more it exacerbated the problems and didn't solve them. Eventually he realized this doesn't work. Whatever their theories were, they didn't make sense actually in practice. Talk to people about it in the West about, or talk to economists about it. They still will generally insist on growth. Whether or not you have a finite system, they just insist on growth. All right, he's looking at the situation. It doesn't really work. He decides we have to not grow so much. We have to not have so many children. Somehow his personality led to when he would go to different places, I guess he was very charismatic. I didn't see him at the time, so I don't really know. Apparently, like he'd go and meet with school children and he'd talk about condoms and using condoms more. He'd blow them up into balloons and they'd react to it very positively. I don't know about you. When I think about lowering birth rate, the first thing, well, before learning about him, the first thing I came up, the first thing that would come to mind for me would be the one child policy in China, meaning forced abortions, maybe forced sterilizations. I believe that they would tear your house down if you had too many kids. Or before that, in various other places, there were very racist, very sexist uh, eugenics policies that would also have forced sterilizations, things like that. I don't know about you. I don't like the government in my bedroom. I don't like the government forcing their way into my body or anyone else's body. And if the cure is worse than the disease, I would not propose it. I would say take the disease if the cure is worse. I also for a long time recognized, at least since reading Limits to Growth, recognized that there was a big problem with promoting growth all over the place. Growth on a finite planet doesn't work. But what could I say or do? I never, if you look at my material, you'll see that I didn't talk about population very much here and there, but I couldn't propose anything to do about it that was not worse than just letting the population grow to wherever it grew. People today say, oh, the population's leveling off. Well, I'll get to that in a second. Learning about what Machai did in Thailand changed all that because within something like 10 or 20 years, the birth rate in Thailand went from about seven children per woman to I think 1.5. No forced abortions, no government intervention. I mean, I think the government was involved, but it was much more things like fun. They made, I think, a superhero character and slogans like, I forget what they were, things like one is more than enough or things like that. So the people voluntarily, without coercion, had fewer children. And the result was that the population went down and there was more abundance and prosperity for everyone, despite what the theories said that were not, I mean, as you may know, I have a PhD in physics and in physics, we generally look at it. If you have a theory and the theory predicts something, but nature does something different, you throw out the theory. You don't force nature to fit your theory. You fit your theory to nature. Well, the way Machai looked at it worked and the other way didn't. So to me, go with what works. I'll add that in Alan Weissman's book, Countdown, he talked about plenty of other places that did similar things. In Iran, after the war with Iraq, they sent people through by horseback, by helicopter, all through every place in the land 
to promote, or I should also mention this was also in Thailand, education, making contraception available, giving people, allowing people to have their tubes tied or vasectomies if they wanted, resulting that in Iran, the birth rate went from, as he put it, the theoretical maximum. I never thought about that. There's a maximum birth rate that you can get as hum- in human beings. They were up near the theoretical maximum. I think they also dropped down to one and a half children per woman. There are other places. Mexico, they showed soap operas in which one family had a lot of kids and they were struggling to get by. They couldn't do a lot of things because they didn't have enough money. Another family had one child. I'll add that in my life, I've seen plenty of families, some with many children, some with one child, and I've never seen less love in a family with one child than with many children. In any case, in Mexico, they had these soap operas and it had a measurable effect on birth rate. And not just in Mexico, but in other places as well. And there are other places that did this, Costa Rica and several other places where on a nationwide scale, birth rate dropped, happiness increased, and I would have to imagine that the love increased. Later on, when a different leader came to power in Iran and tried to push the birth rate back up again, I guess to raise taxes or things like that, they wouldn't do it. They liked having fewer children. So now the question remains, well, what should the population be? Everyone says, Josh, the population is leveling off. In Western Europe, in the United States, birth rate is below replacement level. Well, first of all, in the United States, let's look at pollution. I think we get that if in the United States we close a factory and then we open up a factory in another country, maybe that has lower emissions regulations, we have not lowered the amount of pollution. We just moved it from one place to another. If we have fewer children here, but our immigration policies bring in enough that we have a greater population all the time, we've just outsourced our baby making. And we believe in this country in growth, in growth of the population, growth of the economy, and we keep bringing in more and more people. But what should the number of people on the earth be? This is a very open question. What's the carrying capacity of the planet? I've treated this in other podcast episodes. One important concept is that the closer that we get to the carrying capacity of the planet. Okay, so what does that mean? It means that if we have everyone living in abundance and everyone's happy and has more than they need, and whatever we throw out eventually gets regenerated back by the earth into something not poisonous or useful. So plastic, you know, it takes 400 years to, to break down. If you take into account all the waste and so forth that we have, how many people can we have? Well, if everyone's living in abundance, that's not the carrying capacity. You can always put in more people. So if you keep in putting more and more people, eventually you reach a point where everyone's living with the absolute minimum they can get by with. If you put one more person on the planet, someone else somewhere else would die. I put to you, that's a terrible existence. No one wants to live there because everyone's on the verge of suicide. They have the least amount that they could possibly get by with. Everything would be as absolutely as efficient as possible. And any little disruption, if you disrupt something that has no resilience because it's perfectly efficient, people are going to die all over the place. I put to you that we do not want to be close to the theoretical maximum, to the carrying capacity. I found Ellen Weissman's book very compelling. He pointed out that if you look at the Haber-Bosch process, this is the underlying process of what is now known as the Green Revolution. So in the 50s and 60s, people figured out through a mix of artificial fertilizers and different types of strains of wheat and different different varieties of, of plants, how to create a lot more food than we ever created before. And a lot of people say the Green Revolution saved billions of people's lives. We went from around 3 billion to now pushing 8 billion people. Well, I don't count someone who wasn't born to be born saving their life. People have been able to regulate our birth rate for a long time, there are island nations where there'd be an island that could sustain, I don't know, 5,000 people, and they lived there for centuries at 5,000 people. They were able to keep the birth rate however they did in check. We don't have to keep giving birth to new people and calling that saving their lives. On the contrary, you could say that it enabled births 
of people that wouldn't have been born otherwise, but now we had to sustain them. It probably was viewed as a side effect at the time and is now a main effect. The Green Revolution led to depleted aquifers, to giant dead zones off the Mississippi and all over the place, desertification, deforestation, using up resources, and the situation that we see today that we call the environmental problem, every environmental problem exacerbates with greater population and every environmental problem gets easier to handle with lower population. So how low should the population go? Assuming it's through peaceful, non-coercive, voluntary means leading to prosperity and abundance for everyone, I think this is a very interesting question. Alan Weissman pointed out the Haber-Bosch process at the root of the Green Revolution requires fossil fuels to work. Before the Haber-Bosch process, you had to, oh, so what does it do? It, it gets you artificial fertilizers. At the root of it, plants need nitrogen in the soil that they can get access to. So there's a process called fixing nitrogen. There's lots of the nitrogen in the atmosphere, but they can't use it. Some plants fix nitrogen. You can rotate crops. By rotating crops, you can get nitrogen in the soil by some crops. And the next year you plant other crops. That limits the amount of crops that you can grow. For a while, people found bat guano and bird guano. That stuff has lots of fixed nitrogen in it. That was fertilizer that you could use. And fertilizer from animals and humans can work too. All of these processes put a limit on how much nitrogen you can get in the soil. The Haber-Bosch process shot it way up. That produced a lot more babies. It produced a lot more pollution. If you take away the Haber-Bosch process, you're left with natural fertilizer. Well, what was the population before the Haber-Bosch process? It actually came about in World War I, just about World War I, and the population then was about 2 billion people. Let's say we throw in some efficiencies and some greater knowledge now. Let's say we can get up to 3 or 4 billion people. That seems to me the population of the planet that is long-term sustainable because we're, if we're drawing down on fossil fuels and they're limited and they're polluting the world, we can't keep doing that. But we could get by with that fossil fuels using regular fertilizer. Some people say, I don't really believe that they believe this when they say it, but you hear a lot, especially in the United States, we need more babies because more babies means more geniuses and the more geniuses will figure out how to solve all these problems. First of all, it seems obvious to me the geniuses are saying, stop having so many people, level it off. But at 2 billion people, we had, before World War I, Einstein, Mozart, Galileo, Newton. That's just in, in the Western tradition all over the world. Or go way back. Pick your luminary. Jesus, Buddha, Muhammad, Aristotle, Plato, Lao Tzu, Confucius. They were born with a population of that planet of, I think, below 200 million people. I don't see so many Jesuses and Platos today. A lot of people say, Josh, the population is leveling off now. No problem. Actually, if you look at the projections that show it coming out to 8, 9, 10 billion people in 2100, in 2100, those projections are still showing exponential growth. Not quite as fast, but still exponential growth. In any case, if your population stabilizes above what's sustainable, you eventually have a collapse. If we choose to lower our population ourselves through voluntary non-coercive means that lead to prosperity and abundance for everyone and resilient because when people try to push it back up again they don't want to go back up again then it seems to me you want to bring it down to three or four billion people this all comes together to make a very coherent cohesive picture of what to do for the future now how to get there is a challenge that's the next step but it's been done on several national scales that people enjoy having fewer children and there are many things that work on small scales. And when you scale them up to bigger scales, they work just as well or even better. Now imagine the world with three or four billion people achieved through voluntary, non-coercive means that led to abundance and prosperity for everyone. Suddenly, all of our environmental problems get a lot easier. In fact, there's abundance for everyone. 
if we can keep that at three or four billion people, just put this in your mind for a while. Imagine the world with three or four billion people. There's abundance all around. If there's a natural disaster somewhere, people can recover from it. And it only takes a couple generations. A couple generations. By 2100, if globally we're having one to one and a half children per couple, globally, not saying one place has to do it, another place doesn't have to do it, globally we do that, then we're down to three or four billion people within a few generations. So in the short term, we have to be efficient because we're over the limit now and we're polluting the earth. We're, making the, we're poisoning the air, the water, the land. But after a few generations of living efficiently, we can go back to living comfortably, abundantly. This is the picture that I have. I propose, just imagine it for a while. Imagine a world where we're not growing so much all the time and we have prosperity and abundance just like they did in several nations, but now on a global scale. Picture a world where there's abundance for everyone. There's not pollution all over the place. The aquifers are replenishing. The soil is not leaching off into the oceans. It's a glorious world. I propose thinking about that for a while, and this is why I believe that any serious discussion about the environment, keeping in mind that, as far as I know, every problem with the environment gets exacerbated the more people you have and gets easier the fewer people you have. And down when you get to three or four billion people, maybe two billion, it gets easier. Suddenly, thinking about how the machai, the condom in Thailand is a fun, playful thing, along with other prophylactics, having your tubes tied, having a vasectomy, educating everyone about family planning. It makes prosperity abundance for everyone. That's a great world. It's a world that can sustain plenty of geniuses, all the arts, great advances in sciences. It does not have to mean what a lot of people think, that if you're not stepping on the gas, pedal to the metal all the time, growing as much as you possibly can, that it means a return to the Stone Age and people dying in childbirth all the time and losing all of medical science. Not at all. It probably means more. Because when geniuses are struggling, having to get by, they can't figure out solutions. But when they're not struggling, when you have a culture of abundance and plenty, then we all can reach our full potential. This is a world I'd love to be in. This is a world I hope to create. This is a world that we can attain through playfulness and fun, reaching abundance and prosperity.